Welcome to On the Rec Yard Women's Prison Podcast, where we are live on the Rec Yard every Wednesday night. Hey, hey, everybody. You guys might recognize who's sitting next to me. I have Rosie O'Donnell. Hi. She is joining us today. We are normally live every Wednesday night on the Rec Yard. This week, we are pre-recording so that we can have our guest here. I'm Marcy Marie. And I'm Tucci. We're so happy to have you guys. And Rosie, I'm so happy to have you and be here. Yes, she's in my house. She and Britt slept over. We had a nice dinner of burgers and a lunch of pizza. And uh, we're doing good. We're hanging out and having fun and talking all about prison life and and other cases and, and what's going on in the world. What is so exciting to me is normally the people in our spaces that are passionate about making changes in our carceral system have been to prison mm. and you have never been in legal trouble. No, but I, I visited Martha Stewart in prison. It was my first time being in an adult prison. I had done a lot of stuff at youth prisons in Florida when I lived there just to go talk to the young girls. But this was the first time I was in an adult woman's prison and it had a tremendous effect on my heart and soul that I saw uh, Martha introduce me to many people and I saw women multi-generations in prison together. I, I was like, hello, I'm Rosie. and Hello, hello, my name is Betty and this is my daughter Sue. And I'm mm -hmm. like, there they are together in like, and at first I thought, is this a made up family? You know, no, it was a biological mother and daughter. And it wasn't just one, it was a bunch of people. Mm -hmm. I was very shocked at all the children that came to visit their mothers and how unbelievably sad it was. They were walking around with Ziploc bags of quarters to buy all of the very expensive and not very healthy food there in the visiting area. And I stayed with her the whole time of visiting hours. And, and, you know, I didn't know her that well. I mean, she had done my show, but we were not like friends. Like we hadn't been out to dinner. We hadn't, I didn't really have her whole number, you know, but when I heard what happened to her and what they charged her with, I was so angry that, you know, it was so misogynistic to take the one most successful, well-known businesswoman in the country and, and target her for answering her phone one day. And, I was just, uh, I was so outraged at the lack of uh, justice in the case that I said to her a, a letter on an email and said, if you ever need anything. And about two months into her service, uh, into her sentence, excuse me, they, um, her assistant called me and said, would you come visit her? And I was very nervous. I cried when I was flying there because I thought, how sad that you would invite someone that you don't know that well, how lonely she must have been for people. And I remember looking like this, like I had no makeup because I thought I'm going into a prison, right? I, I, I didn't, you know, try to make myself look any different than my normal look because I thought I didn't, you know, want to come in as like a celebrity. And in walks Martha Stewart. And can I tell you something? She looked like she was at a Scavulo photo shoot. <laughs> she was dyed with the JoLynn cream bleach, she told me. Uh -huh. that she had a cinch in her little outfit, you know, uniform, <laughs> or what do you call that? A prison uniform? Prison uniform, yeah. yeah. She, um, 
and and she looked like she looked remarkable. And I, I definitely was was very shocked at her appearance. And the funniest thing that happened and remind me reminding you, I, I don't really like the first time I had a long conversation with her was in prison. Mm -hmm. And I said, so what do you miss the most? And you know what she said? Food. The flavor of lemon. <laughs> the flavor of lemon. I said, had you told me, I would have shoved one up my hoo-hot <laughs> in for you, you know? But uh, so that was my only experience with prison. But I've always had a sense of, of in, injustice infuriates me. When, when something is unfair, when something, when people are being mistreated and so I've had interest in prison and prison reform and, and, um, and I've come to know, you know, throughout my years to try to help people or connect with people that I feel need a little bit of grace dropped in on, on all of the darkness that's in their life. You're kind of known for, for rooting for the underdog. Right. And that's your personality for sure. And we've talked earlier about, um, Anna and the four. The San Antonio, San Antonio four. Yeah. I had seen a documentary about them and I was so overwhelmed with what happened to them. I, I couldn't believe it. It was almost like the Salem witch trials. It was. Jennifer, can you give us a rundown of that case real quick? Yeah. So uh, these four young women in San Antonio uh, in the early 90s, um, they were all hanging out, chilling. Uh, they were lesbians. They are. And uh, they were having a good time just hanging out at the house. And one of the girl's nieces were there. And um, eventually, somehow, I, I think the grandmother just really didn't like her lifestyle and just really kind of coached the children into this fantastical story about lesbian satanic sex craziness right and and all four of these young women were um convicted i believe one finally just took a plea um but you know me and marcy know i think all of those women and i was uh, incarcerated with chris mm. and you know they would try to give her a parole answer to send her to the uh sex offender program and she would refuse it Right. And she would get a disciplinary case and go to cell block because she's like, I am not admitting even to get out early. I'm not admitting that I did something like this to a child. Uh, so they were finally exonerated through the efforts of wonderful people like Rosie and the Innocence Project. So, yeah, her, her crazy, horrific case. Yeah, horrible case. And, and I came to know them and, and their documentary was was going around and I, I went with them to the screenings to promote uh, the documentary and try to get people interested in, in their case. And, um, you know, they're wonderful women. They're, uh, they have suffered a lot mm -hmm. because of whether it was the grandmother or I thought it was the ex of one of the women. Oh, um, well, yeah, that was part of it too. <laughs> there was a, a, a boyfriend, a husband mm -hmm. that was also very angry that the wife was now gay and ex-wife. And it was a, a horrible, horrible situation. And the Innocence Project, you know, wonderful organization that helped uh, them and that Anna is now working for to try to help people who are wrongfully incarcerated like they were yeah. to, um, to get help and to get exonerated. Yeah. Anna's made that her life work. Mm -hmm. She has. She and really that's what I admire so much about Marcy and about you, Jennifer, that people who have been in prison and while they're in there, try to work to help the conditions and, and also 
while um, when they get out that they don't give up their their uh, their their passion to help that you know like I always like said to I would say to Martha Stewart and this is not to diss her because she was older when she went and you know I think she's a little bit on the autism spectrum truthfully that mm -hmm. somebody would miss lemon more than like you know well my kids yeah. and my dogs I don't know but uh you know not to disparage her but I when I came out of that prison wanted to send a million Amazon books I wanted to help in any way I could. So I admire the people who have been there and don't just turn their back on it and say, I'm done with that. I don't want to remember that anymore. You know, because you know, there are people living through that same hell of the American, you know, penal system, which is uh, horrifically abusive to, to everyone who is incarcerated. Yeah, we actually, we have a whole army of women. And yes. I think is a good time to plug our organization. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yes, go ahead, Jen, give it to us. Yeah, so, um, you know, it, it's pretty unique to have um, system-impacted coalitions in Texas, and, and there's the Texas Statewide Leadership Council, which is men and women who are formerly incarcerated and their loved ones working on policy and advocacy. Uh, but us girls in the group are like, man, you know what? I just, we need this just specifically for women. Like, yeah. like Rosie mentioned earlier, there is so much that happens to us that is just so disproportionate um, to, 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 to everything, right? Um, they treat us and hold us to standards that they don't mend. Uh, and that's a unique incarceration experience, a unique criminal legal system experience. Um, so we got together and created Linus, Justice Impacted Women's Alliance, and we decided what better um, symbol of sisterhood than a female line. They stick together even, even when he wanders away. Right. So, um, yeah. And, and we've come together over the past year and it was Melissa Lucio's case, uh, stopping her execution. Um, uh, somebody that we know and love and, uh, yeah, so we're, we're trying to create a big movement of formerly incarcerated and currently incarcerated women. Cause the women on the inside see the stuff we're doing and they just, it just brings them to tears because they, they really, Rosie, you're right. People get out of the system. They're like, I can't handle this. I just want to forget it. Um, and it, it, we can't, we, we have to use those experiences to, to elevate um, our cause. So yeah, we're really, really excited about the stuff that we're doing with our coalitions. Yeah. And pretty impressive getting laws passed and, you know, trying to really work uh, within the system that you all know so well you have this lived experience of what it was like and what needs to change in order for it to be a humane experience, never mind a rehabilitation experience. You know, it seems as though, especially you, Jennifer, you were telling me before we started that you were very young when you went in, you were 15. Yeah. It was yeah. 15. 15 year old kid. I mean, imagine that. I don't know how, how many of you listening have children, but you know, you can remember back to when they were 15 and, how lost they are and trying to find out who they are in the world. And, and never mind with what I assume was your horrific childhood, because I've never really met a prisoner who didn't have some sort of hellacious experience in their, in their trauma filled childhood. Yeah. And, and Rosie, that's, that's spot on. Right. And, and me and Marcy and the other women, um, we really try to highlight that the, the effect of trauma and, um, I was watching, I don't know if it was last summer, I was watching your TikToks about K-12 
Casey Anthony. Mm. And um, I, I always had a certain opinion about Casey, Casey Anthony's case. Um, you know, I, I thought it was the right outcome. And then that documentary, it was just spot on and you got it. And I sent it to everybody and I was like, y'all need to rethink the way that we've been told about our own trauma um, and how that affects people so drastically different, especially women and girls that have gone through uh, certainly sexual abuse. Yes, or boys in the Menendez case. You know, mm -hmm. that new documentary has just come out about the member of Menudo, Roy Rojas, who was raped by Jose Menendez and uh, was bleeding from his rectum when he went to take a shower at Jose Menendez's house when he was a 13-year-old boy. And he, you know, went back to a South American country where he lived and he was in and out of mental hospitals. And, you know, he was so traumatized by this experience. And, and he recently has come out and told that story, which is the corroborating new evidence for the Menendez brothers. And, you know, what I think I'm hoping and, and many people who lived through similar childhoods, you know, boys who are sexually abused. And in 1990, we weren't ready to hear that as a culture. Right. We weren't ready. If I always said that, you know, Lyle Menendez is the older brother and Eric, the younger brother, if Eric at 17 or 18, when he told that the father had been doing this to him for many years, if it had been a girl mm, mm -hmm. that his sister was being raped by the father, that would have been much easier for our culture in the 90s to understand why the older brother would have acted in that way that he did. And nobody is condoning the violence or the murder of their parents, but we definitely have extenuating circumstances and they have been in prison for 30 years. And up till five years ago, they were in different prisons, which you see families all the time in prison who are doing time with their brother or their father or the same prison they get to see each other. But in some case of horrible cruelty and the fame of, the, of their case, the notoriety, they were placed in different prisons for over 20 years. And it's only been recently that in the last five years that they've gotten to be together in the same prison. And... Um, I am all for a resentencing for them. I'm all for um, a commutation from Gavin Newsom and or the DA just saying, you know, we made a mistake. We made a mistake. And it was a culture that was not able to accept. You know, people made fun of them. Today, would you make fun of people who were talking about violent incestual rape throughout their childhood? Would, would comedians make fun of them? Jay Leno did jokes about them every night. Yeah. And it totally tainted the pool of, of jurors. It, you know, the first trial, they had two trials. The first trial, they were allowed to submit evidence of the abuse and it was a horrifying yeah. to watch. It was horrifying to see these young men on the stand. No actor can act that. Unless you've lived it, you can't act that. And nobody took them seriously. And to think that today our society is ready and we have to right the wrongs that happened in our, on our watch. And this is a big one. Now, there are many people in prison who are, are serving time and, and uh, were, were innocent or had extenuating circumstances that weren't allowed to be presented because... The first trial was a hung jury 6-6. Six, six. Yep. And the second trial, which happened after Rodney King, 
And after O.J. Simpson was acquitted, the DA decided that they needed to get these guys and have a win. So they excluded all evidence of sexual abuse. And guess what? They were found guilty of first degree premeditated murder. It was um, life without the possibility of parole. They have been in there 30 years. If they had been convicted of manslaughter, they would have been out three times already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember when that conviction came through because their trial was so hugely publicized. I mean, it was just, they were kind of made out in the media to be monsters. Yes. And um, when that conviction came through, my mom was in tears. And I, I was young enough that I didn't quite, I wasn't following everything. You know, I was at 13, 14, mm. 13, you know, and, um, but I, I just remember seeing my parents' reaction. I remember it. my reaction vividly too, because the first trial was publicized. The second trial was not. Right. Mm -hmm. First trial had all the evidence. The second trial omitted all the evidence. So I remember when it happened thinking this was wrong. This was wrong what happened. And you know, I, I had a childhood that wasn't easy and, um, and I knew that they were telling the truth. And now with this Roy Rojas who has, um, who has admitted what happened to him, you know, and, and some people were saying, oh, oh, why didn't he do it sooner? You know, you come to terms with the horrific child abuse that you survived when your psyche is ready to handle it. Yes. Right. Because there, there's times that, you know, you grow up, you're in this, you don't, you put it away. It comes up in dreams. It comes up in fragments. It comes up in your mind and, and it alters everything about you. And I just think that these boys were done to so unfairly. And uh, as a country, we need to rectify it. Absolutely. It, you know, and it was it was during that early 90s of, you know, Rosie, when when and I've shared this with Marcy and our audience before is, you know, when I did what I did when I was 15, uh, you know, I had a state psychiatrist tell me that, well, the reason you did this because you didn't have a soul. You don't have a conscience. Some children don't have any. And it was this idea that we were super predators, which that theory is completely debunked. And it's like, well, we need to rectify the wrongs that we did to those children in their community and their family. You know, yeah. and, and, and I do remember. Do you I'm mind sorry. if I ask you what your charge was? Yeah, well, it was uh, someone, someone died. And uh, it was in a, a moment of extreme crisis in, in mental health, and, you know, and untreated. For a child. Yes, I was a child. And, um, you know, this is deep East Texas with a, a, a stigma ar around mental health anyway. Um, it was treated as a spiritual problem and um, only only compounded this belief that, you know, I don't have anything in there. Right. And it's taken me 30 years of therapy. But when I, I remember as a kid, though, watching the Mendendez trial and hearing the horrible things that were being said in the media and, and media is powerful. It, it's extremely powerful in shaping pop culture and in society and to present these boys, um, you know, as soulless and evil and greedy. And they went out and spent all this money. Yeah. Cause they're free. Right. <laughs> they're part of their, that, that they're relieved. Um, and as a, a kid that was hiding her sexual abuse, I knew from those reactions, just like when I saw the Casey Anthony doc documentary, I see it 
Rosie saw it. Marcy said, when you experience these things, you can't fake that. I know what that feels like. In your DNA. And, you know, I mean, I, I have told Marcy this, but when I was uh, 34, Lyle wrote me a letter. And he talked to me in the letter about he thought that I would understand. He had a feeling. He had that same knowing about me that I wasn't even ready to talk about publicly, mm -hmm. right? I was still in, in the stages of therapy and, and trying to figure out and, you know, a lot of siblings and not all of them wanted to talk about it, you know, and, and it's a shared, shared past. And when one person's famous, then it gets spilled on the other siblings. And so it was a very difficult thing to navigate for me. But but I was sure that they grew up in an environment where they felt there was no other choice. Yeah. No other choice. And, you know, five days before they were killed, the mother admitted that she knew what was happening to Eric for all those years. And two days before that happened, the mother and Lyle were in Princeton getting his apartment ready because he was about to start college there. The mother and he together. Two days after that, she admitted that she knew all along what had happened to Lyle up until he was eight and what happened to Eric up until he was 18. And, and can you imagine, I mean, I get, because I, I know, right? The rage, the rage inside of of that betrayal um marcy you know i'm thinking about all the the ladies that that we were incarcerated with and you know i think there is that that stigma around women in prison that it's we're devious sultrous seductive all this other stuff um but you know in terms of the women that that do big crimes you know like the menendez brothers or the things that Casey Anthony was, was accused of. Um, what do you see? What do you remember seeing in the women around us in terms of, uh, you know, their trauma and their, the way they were processing it? Well, that's, that's right. That's, I mean, all of the ladies that we knew that had those big crimes and, and some very popular in the media with lifetime movies and, and all of that there, they are, it was a reactionary crime. It wasn't a um, devious weeks of planning, plotting, waking up to thinking I'm going to do this. No, uh, somebody off their husband who had been abusing them for years and years and years. That's what we were seeing. Yes. And, and you know, what's interesting is that the burning bed with Farrah Fawcett, which changed the way our culture saw abused women and battered women syndrome laws put, put into place after that. That was 10 years after the Mendez brothers were incarcerated. 10 years later. And then 10 years after that, Oprah did the show with Tyler Perry and all of the boys who were sexually abused. So it, the society has been slow to come around to child abuse of of women, of girls and boys. But at, at the time, boys, it was unthinkable. Yeah. Well, and I think I think that speaks to just the 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 cultural um, resistance or, or block or to think about any type of, you know, sex activity between men and in period. Right. 
you know, and not understanding that sexual assault is not about sexuality. It is about power and dominance and control. Um, but, you know, yeah. Well, and what kind of, what kind of trauma that control causes and what kind of damage, what kind of violence, it's a, a hugely violent act. And we just, that's something violence breeds violence. But when you have violence act, violent acts against you, then if they're not then processed and healed and worked through, it comes out as violence. That's what happened with the Mendez brothers. It exploded out of those young men and not, not, not condoning the act, but understanding right. why it happened. Right. And the first woman who came to evaluate the crime scene said to the lawyers for them, it was pure rage. Mm -hmm. And the lawyers were afraid to say that because they thought that people would label them as monsters, but no, it was pure rage from the decades of incestual torture that they had suffered at the hands of this very powerful father. And, uh, you know, it, it's a tragedy. And, and if you watch that new documentary, which is on Peacock, I believe, mm -hmm. The Boys Betrayed, The Menendez Brothers and Menudo, it's, uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty riveting. And when I saw that documentary, then I made the TikTok about how they should be freed. You know, well, Eric and Lyle received life with no parole. Right. So yeah. uh, it's it's some life sentences mean 30 years and and that's a life sentence or 30 years. And then you're eligible for parole. My friend Laura has a life sentence made parole at 30 years and she's home. So what would it look like then this new evidence comes in? Jennifer, how how does that process work when new evidence comes in? Will there be a possibility of a new judgment? Well, they submitted a writ of habeas mm -hmm. for new evidence. So I think they have 60 days from when they receive it, the DA, to make uh, a summary judgment about whether or not they would be re- um, re-sentenced uh, so that they would be re-sentenced for manslaughter, which, you know, has a 10-year sentence, mm -hmm. right? And they've already done 30 years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a hope that they will be re-sentenced, which, you know, I hope as well, and then they will get out for time served. Yeah. And, and I, I always just, because I've watched so many cases, and it, it just seems like the legal system often um, really it's about the pressure from the public and it's, it's media exposure, right? Like, like the San Antonio, uh, four, um, uh, other crimes of the past that were, you know, absolute injustices. It takes the community. Uh, there was a case out of Austin. Um, I know his name is Kelly and I can't, I think that might be his last name, but he was tried and convicted, um, as a super predator with this. I mean, and this was just a few years ago and he was a, you know, just a kid in, in high school playing football and he was accused of this horrific crime. And it, that was just going to be the end for him. And it took community, uh, just constant media pressure, taking that narrative back, like just owning the narrative and stop letting the state take it. Uh, and, you know, legally they can find a way, right? They'll, they'll find a way um, if, if the pressure is on them enough and, and I saw that with Melissa Lucio as we were able to get her execution halted. It, it takes an outcry 
Uh, and it takes the media. The, the media is responsible for a lot of this. Then they're, they're also, they have the power and the responsibility to fix it. I agree. And, and that's why I want to use my voice to help them and all incarcerated people to have uh, humanity and, and decency in, in, in their rehabilitation and in their punishment. Nobody's saying that people who commit crimes shouldn't be punished. No one is saying or advocating for that. Uh, but there has to be a level of, of humanity that is the right of every person living. Yeah. Well, and we, we certainly, I mean, you finding Marcy and, and elevating her story is Rosie elevating the story of all the women in Texas because it has felt like for years and, and Marcy was, I remember she sent me an article um, that you were talking about your projects and she said, Oh my God, Rosie mentioned the heat. And it wasn't that Marcy was like, Oh my God, Mar uh, Rosie mentioned me. No, her first thing was Rosie mentioned the heat you know, uh, and so we just, we certainly appreciate uh, you elevating. Um, so when I hear the stories, when I come to know Marcy, came to know Marcy and, uh, you know, I know other people who are um, incarcerated as well and would hear the stories of people having heat-induced seizures yeah. and putting toilet water on the floor just to get some relief to lay down in. I mean, how is it possible in America that this is going on? Mm -hmm. You know, how is it possible? And I think that that prison reform is is really necessary in the United States and the prison industrial system has to be dismantled. It has to be. It's racist innately and it's uh, it's so heavily weighted towards towards cruelty yeah. as opposed to uh, retribution or um, rehabilitation. Well, in the communities, have to, communities are have to be made aware because I think that people kind of keep a blind eye to situations like this. It's out of sight, out of mind, and it 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 doesn't feel good to know that these kind of things happen in our right. country. But the fact of the matter is, they do. And in the same way that communities are, anytime there's a big crime, like with the Mendez brothers, the communities have. A responsibility, right? They had a responsibility, frankly, prior to that crime being committed um, to protect those boys and uh, the mother, certainly, but the communities as a whole. And the communities now have a responsibility to do to make things right, to make things right within our prison system and to make things right um, with with the victims of yeah. our. I, I just system. worry that their case was so public and they're so you know, you say the Menendez brothers, everybody has an opinion. Yeah. But I, I try to talk to people about the case and, and say, well, are you aware that this happened? Are you aware this Menudo man? Are you aware? And, and people are like, no, no, I just thought they spent a lot of money right. to their parent. You know, I was like, okay, well, if you don't understand somebody who was finally let out of the house on fire, you know, wanting to go swim in a pool. Well, he swam in a pool, you know, <laughs> they went to play tennis. What, what, what do you, mm -hmm. I don't even understand the argument. You know, I don't understand the argument. And it just, uh, it really, it really breaks my heart. I guess that's the bottom line. 
Well, they spent a lot of money because there was a lot of money and they were used to spending a lot of money. Correct. That's how they grew up. It's not like all of a sudden they went out and did different things that like played tennis and swimming. Well, this is how they grew up. Exactly. And so they were just doing what they normally do. With, without that monster lurking and, you know, and, and you, you have to call the mother a monster too. And that she, you know, admitted that she was aware and chose to ignore what was happening to her two children. There's this idea that after someone um, commits a crime, and especially if it's some kind of traumatic, violent event, that that person then needs to just curl up in a ball somewhere in a corner and hide and cry for the rest of their life. Oh, Marcy. So <laughs> we just had this happen at the end of our podcast last week or this week rather, um, you know, that somebody was kind of alluding just to, to what Marcy said. Here we are answering questions, educating folks, being vulnerable, being honest. And then someone just pops in with, it seems like y'all are taking this real light, especially me, because you physically harm someone. And in the, the deal, and, and she said, well, and, and how could you have paid for this? Well, I did the sentence that the judge gave me, number one, right? I completed that. Uh, but you know, it is this idea that those of us that have, have caused harm, right, that we're forever, ha we, we, we never get to have any sense of, of relief or happiness or joy. It, it's like we're shamed and guilted for, for being well and moving on. And it, it's, it, it is so frustrating, Rosie. Oh, my God, it's so frustrating to go through all this. And then people are like, well, how dare you? How dare I be happy or, or have a job or not, like Marcy said, curl up in a ball and just me culpa myself to death. I mean, a, a lot of that shame was what drove me, a lot of us to do the things that we did. So it, it's just a, an unmerciful uh, attitude. Um, I, hope, I hope when you think of it, Jennifer, when you talk on your crime, that you can always say it was unbelievable you know, to real, that drove, whatever drove you to do this as a child. Yeah. Like, I, I think you need as a child attached every time when you say that, because, you know, 15 year old boys, I, I was telling Marcy about Derek and Alex King, who were children. And I showed her the video, uh, the picture of what their face looked like when they were on trial for life without the possibility of parole. They were little baby yeah. boys. 12 years old and 13 years old, not pre-pubescent, complete little young children. Whose father allowed them to go next door to a convicted pedophile's house who was a former policeman. Mm. And um, he gave them drugs and liquor and told them if they wanted to hang out here while he was sexually abusing them, that all they had to do was kill their dad who had a drinking problem. And Alex and Derek killed their dad with a baseball bat when they were 12 and 13. Yeah. And they were going to try them without the possibility of parole. It was a horrible situation. Horrible. Just horrible. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, girls, I think we, we're on the right track of we all we can do is what we can do. And, and that is just continue to have these hard conversations and being brave. You know, Rosie, I know it's 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 boy, man, we'd be sitting in the day room watching. It was the view, wasn't it? It was because I know there's the talk or something, but um, man, 
you would, you would give them the business. Right. And it was like, these are the hard things that have to be said. Uh, and, and, you know, people didn't like to hear it and they still don't like to hear it, but no, it was very problematic for me, especially, you know, Bill Cosby was the biggest story in the country. He had raped and, and drugged all of these women and, and we weren't allowed to discuss it. I was like, we can't discuss it at all. You know, and they were like, no. And, and, you know, Whoopi had strong feelings because she was, you know, friendly with him or whatever. But uh, I was like, how is this possible that this is what we're talking about? You know, thinner thighs in 30 days when we could be talking about <laughs> things that are real and happening in our world and that need to be addressed, you know? Yeah. And, and having real conversation and, and me and Marcy say this a lot in our coalitions, it's like, Hey, without conflict, there's no growth. And without talking about the hard things, how are we ever going to, how are we going to create reform or change if, if we can't have a healthy, and I think in today's culture, I mean, it's just the, 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 the gulf between us to be able to have healthy discussions that can be heated. You know, it, it's, it's yes. almost gone. It's differing views when people are not, you know, just dismissing the other people because they think another way. I mean, listen, with all this Trumpism that's happening in the world and, you know, here, here's a man, 70 something indictments. Hello. If he were anyone other than the president, he wouldn't be at his Bedminster home right now. He would be in prison. Yeah. Like reality winner was sent to prison for, mm. for doing one um, one letter or what it was three pages, but it was one piece of evidence that yes, in fact, Russia did interfere in the election. And she sent it to one news outlet and she got five years in prison, yeah. four and a half. And, and you're right, people are so concentrated on whatever kind of loyalty they, they think they should have with whatever topic it is. And if it happens to be uh, former President Trump, I did a video, it said, former President Trump was arraigned. What is arraignment? I talked about what arraignment was. And then I said, when I saw Trump in his suit and knowing he probably went to court in his limo, I remembered how I went to court. And sure. I showed a picture of my jail outfit, mm -hmm. shackled and handcuffed. The whole point of the video was the disparities that 60% of Americans that are arrested, whether they're innocent or guilty, go to court looking like this. Correct. You look like a prisoner. You look like a criminal. If you're escorted by an officer like yes, this. And you're cuffed. And yes. Yes. In God. black and white striped outfit, <laughs> you know? And so I, that's what the video was about, but there, I, they killed me. I can imagine. Oh God. <laughs> I can imagine because, you know, people are uh, willfully blind when it comes to him and his crimes willfully blind it's almost like a cult has has a cult effect has taken over and people are no longer able to perceive accurately the truth that's presented with so much evidence you know but i mean i don't know as a nation we're going to have to come to some way to understand each other and merge back into one country and not have these two really diametrically opposed positions on him People who say he's the best president that ever lived and people who know he's the worst president who ever lived. Yeah. And being able to have those discussions, you know, it, but it, it's, it's like this, um, 
When you can effectively gaslight people into questioning their reality, then you get to create their reality for them. Um, and, and, and that's what we've seen happen. It, it's, it's frightening. And, you know, yeah, I don't, just, don't trust your eyes or your ears. Trust yeah. will tell you. Only trust me. Um, and you can't, you know, I've, I've made all media sources false. Right. So They're I mean, it's like fake news, fake news. Yeah. Right? So how and there's no, like I've blocked off all avenues for truth to actually penetrate you because now you've rejected it all. And it's, it's frightening and that it, it's, it's what abusers do and the abusers that have been in our lives have done the same thing on a, well, on a he he's accused of tw 17 to 20 something women of sexual abuse of rape. He was just found guilty in the civil court of rape. And, you know, he had to pay the money. Now he's going to have to pay more because he continued to disparage her the day after he was found guilty. It's a horrible situation, but you know, I have to have hope in this country. I have to believe in, in the founding father's vision for democracy and, and a democratic republic. I know people don't jump down my throat. Okay? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I just think that the, the notion of the United States as a center for freedom and, you know, a, 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 a guiding light in the world, you know, diminishes as as the years go on and i get older and and i think what happened to this country you know and how can we restore it mm -hmm. back to its its original uh, idea yeah. it's a scary situation i remember not very long ago well this session frankly going to the capitol in austin texas and um, i'm going to this beautifully structured building and i'm having flashbacks of as a child going thinking wow this is where laws are made this is where all the good people mm -hmm. are and this is my true heart as a nine-year-old kid. Yes. And then I'm going in as an adult who has been victimized by the state and the criminal justice system and then opened my, my eyes had been opened to so many other victims far worse than me. Yes. And realizing this is a scary building. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Scary people. You told me that when you were little and you would drive by the prison, your mama would say, Oh, that's for where the bad people go. Yes, we were in Florence, Colorado, and we drove by this massive, it was a supermax prison. And it's where the, the big the big federal crimes are. And um, I remember seeing it. I was young, Rosie. My, I mean, I might have not even been in kindergarten mm. yet. And I was like, Mom, what is that? What is that building? And she just kind of dismissively, my open-minded, loving, kind-hearted mom, who anybody who knows her would be surprised to hear her say that. But she's like, honey, that's where the bad people are. Well, never thinking that it would have anything to do with her family in any capacity. Right. 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 And so when I walk into prison, um, in my mind, that's where the bad people are. Yes. And in my mind, when I first see these women in there, I think like many staff members kind of have that presumption. This is where all the, you know, the mothers that hated their kids and, right. um, you know, just, and this is kind of the image. And then it just didn't take but weeks for stories to start coming in and- Heartbreaking. Yes. Every one of them, every story that you hear, you know, of an inmate, like, like there's sometimes where they put, like I saw recently on TV, 
a woman who was, you know, considered the most dangerous criminal. And she was like really dissing the reporter and saying, I'd like to stab you. Like it was like a show of, oh, this is who we need to be afraid of. Well, mm -hmm. that was one severely mentally ill woman. Yeah. That's who that was. One severely mentally ill woman. What this country needs to do is really assess what we uh, have to provide for our citizens for mental health care. Yes. We are like last in the world for how well we deal with mental health. We don't deal with it at all. No, we wait for them to commit a crime and yes. put them in a cage. Yes. That's our mental health care system in this country. And it's something that is definitely a mission for Texas Statewide Leadership Council and Lioness and many other organizations is to put our resources into our communities before it gets to a criminal level. Give people the resources, the medical treatment that they need for substance abuse disorder, for mental health illnesses, for re-amp our foster care system in this country. Which is these, a nightmare. Yes, these foster kids are go through this nightmare and through this trauma and then end up in prison. Do you know how many foster kids we were incarcerated with? It's yes. appalling. Well, they say that when you age out of the foster system, one third go to prison, one third become homeless. That that's the facts of what happens. You know, you're you're 18 and you age out of foster care and they give you $200 and tell you good luck. How is that? Just like what they do to prisoners when you get out of prison. Yep. <laughs> Here's the clothes that you wore 20 years ago and try to put them on, see how that works. And then here's your money. Now get out the side door, right? Yeah. It's ridiculous. There's no kind of transitional help for people coming out of incarceration into the free world. And it just has to be completely revamped. The foster care system should be blown up and revamped. <laughs> right. Because there is nothing good about it. I was a foster parent myself. It was a very difficult thing to do and uh, a very difficult thing because there really was no help. You know, we were given two kids and, and they had been in and out of many homes and they were three and five, three and five. And, and um, when I, I met them, I, I, I was visiting a, a place for kids in protective custody. And I said, I had just gotten my foster license. And I said, where are those two kids going? And the, the guy who ran this wonderful facility said, they're going to a mental hospital. I said, they're, they're three and five. God. Yeah, but they had been found, you know, eating garbage and the mother was schizophrenic and they put the, they were going to put these kids in a mental hospital. So I took them home because I had a foster care license. You know, I want to warn everyone, if you're married to someone, don't just show up with two foster kids. <laughs> yes, it was not a good moment in my life, <laughs> nor did it, you know, really, it kind of precipitated the end because... You know, you, you shouldn't do that, obviously. But I, I just felt like I couldn't not do it, you know. Some partners driving down the road see um, a stray dog and come home with a stray dog. And right. you, you, that causes some yes. stirring. And yes. you brought two little children. Who didn't speak English. Oh, goodness. They spoke Spanish only. And uh, I spoke a little bit of Spanish, so... You know, I was able to, uh, but they would hide food in their clothes and mm. they were yeah. so neglected. It was so, you know, and there's a happy ending, you know, so that that's good. But there rarely is a happy ending. And and um, it's it's so problematic and so completely heartbreaking. I did a movie about it called America, 
which you can see, I think, on the Walmart channel. And uh, we just, you know, try to expose the foster care system for, for what it is through one uh, fictional story about a boy and, and one social worker who, you know, tries to hold back the tidal wave of, of children. I mean, we can blame these social workers, but they have 150 cases. Right, right. They're not paid any money and they have to go into these very dangerous neighborhoods and knock on the door to do the wellness check of the kids. It's not an easy job. And, you know, I wonder who would even undertake that knowing what the situation is now. But um, very sad, very tragic. So y'all might not know. And Jen, I'm not even sure if you do know that Brittany was in foster care wow. in yeah. her childhood. And it, it was a traumatic. She's the oldest of four and she feels a huge responsibility being the oldest of four. Of course, especially for kids who were kind of orphans of the living because the parents weren't really able to function that much when they were little, right? Right. And right. so, you know, so when you're orphans of living people, it's like, what what do you do? They, you're not free for adoption. Someone can't adopt you and, and try to give you the stability and the, the mental health care that you need because you still have parents and parents in who are um have lost their kids have so many opportunities to get them back and these kids languish in foster care while waiting for a miraculous help to a meth addiction that never comes you know yes it's it was a scary situation fortunately um in Brittany's situation for her and her siblings it was short term and um mom was able to get herself together enough. but but the things that she witnessed during that time do you know it was so extreme the stories that she told in that short time in that home that we looked them up we because i said Brittany if these people are still we have to do something stop them <laughs> the man had had felony convictions for I mean he he had gotten in trouble so thank thank goodness that they're not still doing well that. sadly some people do it for money and it's yeah. $27 a day yeah in Florida $27 a day they give you to raise a foster kid and some people take in five or six kids just because of that you know wow. and it's a horrible horrible situation there, there was a pretty bad case in Mineola, Texas, um, and there is a documentary <laughs> on HBO. It's called How to Create a Scandal, and um, essentially the woman was doing just that. She was creating this huge, insane sex scandal, having kids at a abandoned trailer doing strip shows and all this crazy stuff, uh, and, um, and it was because she wanted... You know, she was collecting kids so she could get paid. And, you know, several people went to prison for it. One guy died in prison. They're just now trying to, you know, get these folks out of there. Um, but it, if you haven't seen it, it's a good one to watch. And well, I, I drove past that on my yeah, You got to check it out. It's stop and check it out. And please, everybody, check out the um, Menendez brothers, Boys Betrayed with the Menendez Menudo uh, story. It's, it's really, really fascinating. It is on Peacock. It is. Okay, it is good. because we were in um, your guest room last night, which you've been such a beautiful hostess. No. But this is a new home. Yes. And the TVs aren't aren't signed in. Oh, no. And we didn't know how to <laughs> sign into our account. We've, we've been here less than a week. And oh, wow. Come on over. But we don't have to work with anything right. yet. But come on over. We, we, Brittany and I actually were the first to swim in your 
Cool, exactly. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. It you didn't awesome. get stung by any scorpions like you did at your house? No, thank no, God. No <laughs> there, there is some bull nettle in her yard that by okay. the pool. I don't even know what that is, but okay. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's the scorpion of plants. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> it is. Yeah. That's, that's a great way to describe yeah, it. They sting. So uh, she has a, a water slide. And so um, Ooh, definitely slide. Video. Yeah, me and Brittany took some videos. I tried to do like the romantic-y kind of cute Toboggan, water slide you know. where <laughs> holding me and we go down and it we didn't work. It was, <laughs> it was it was almost a crash in like an ambulance. Nice. <laughs> that sounds about right for Marcy and Britt, though. Yeah, yes. Exactly. Yes. Um, but how beautiful that you guys who met in there and formed this bond and it's lasted through her getting transferred in a different place and then getting out before you and now you're getting married. It's such a hopeful, wonderful story. And I'm, I'm so happy that I know you both. Thanks so much. You're welcome. We are. I to feel like somebody that's going to get married soon. Yes. I have messaged my. Um, I I kind of have a core group of friends that are um, advocates, and it's where we can kind of vent to each other about crazy things that happen at the Capitol that maybe you couldn't say out loud to somebody else and that kind of thing. But I just put in a, a put in there and I said, Hey, uh, so if we have a wedding in November, can you guys come? And they were like, what? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I said. I'm in. Yeah. I'm totally excited for that. Um, Tunch, a couple things. Okay. First is Rosie has plans. She has an appointment and, and okay. it's like, Five minutes from okay. now. My daughter has to is dying to see this movie Elemental by Pixar and it comes out oh, today. Oh, it does come out today. Yes. She's waiting for two weeks. So yes. I'm gonna run, take her to the movies and then come back and see them off till they when they go to their other thing. But okay. Thank yeah. you for having me. Very nice to meet you, Jennifer. Yes, wonderful to meet you yeah. finally. There's a Wednesday a Wednesday that we can figure out how I can get on live with you. Okay. Trust me, I don't know how, but maybe someone does. <laughs> okay. Sign into your Zoom and have a box and then answer questions. We'll have Dakota teach you. you believe me, she could. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you very much for, for having me and continue all the wonderful work that you're doing, both of you. I'm yes. proud to know you. Thank well, you, Rosie. thank you, Rosie, and thank you for all your um, excellent work and uh, all the wonderful movies and, and comedy you've provided over the years has really gotten me through a lot. So thank you. No, thank you very much. All of it. Well, Brittany's like a, the stand-up comedian. Uh, she's a fan of that. I'm like exactly. the league of your own. You you can go. I'm going. <laughs> I'm not going to be on the other end. Of <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you in like two hours. Okay, see okay. you soon. And whatever you want to order or eat, or there's pizza in there, just okay. eat it off the box from last night. <laughs> okay. Whatever you want to eat, eat. Okay, thank you, Rosie. <laughs> Isn't she awesome, y'all? She's just precious yeah. as fuck. She's just precious. Yeah, she really is. She's a really um, genuinely good person. Um, she doesn't do things for clout. Mm -hmm. She does things because they're from her heart and it's what she thinks is right. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's really awesome. Um, goodness. Well, Tooch, what do you want to do the last few minutes? Well, we um, yeah. Yeah, that was some heavy stuff. We laid down some heavy stuff. I, I, you know, as some action items, as some things for folks to think about um, 
check out some of the documentaries we talked about. Check into these cases um, if you were like, oh, my God, I never knew that about, you know, the Menendez or Casey Anthony. Um, because trust me, those big cases are happening in your state, in your community, too. Uh, you know, and solution oriented. We, we know this stuff is going on. So what are some solutions? Get involved uh, with groups, with coalitions. Uh, make sure you vote. <laughs> make sure you vote informed. Um, and continue to support other people doing the work. You know, I, I think that's sometimes, and Rosie's right, there's a lot of people that get out or are uncomfortable or for whatever reason, right? But what they, they still want to support, um, and it can just be behind the scenes um, supporting other people who are kind of standing up in the limelight. You know, I, today at the conference, uh, a lady said, I just, I appreciate you. I, that must have been terrifying to tell your personal story public speaking, like people are scared of that anyway. Um, so that some people just want to support from behind the scenes. So wait, Tunch, wait, Tunch, tell them what you did today. We just had in a, in a minute and a half. Yeah. Yeah. So today I went to Williamson County. It's a pretty conservative County outside of Austin. Uh, and they're doing phenomenal work with juvenile justice stuff, trauma informed care. And, uh, I opened up their conference by telling them my personal journey, uh, as a kid in the system and uh, an adult, I see Brittany. I saw her poke around. I yeah, saw I that. Checking on me. We have two minutes. You can come. Brittany. <laughs> What's up, man? Right now, we are recording. You are on the show. <laughs> You're on the show, Brittany. <laughs> You're on the rec yard. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So you were, t you, they're doing major work in the youth judicial yes, system and absolutely. you were able to share your experiences which are not comfortable for you to discuss no, no. um i've i've only in the past year been even a little bit more comfortable being a be, being open about the actual moment of crisis uh when i was a kid um so it was intense and it's always intense telling your story but you know I, I just, my higher power, I believe that that's why we have adversities and live through them so that we can be vulnerable and open about them to, to change things. So hopefully some things I said connected with the trauma-informed uh, training they got. And this was juvenile DAs, attorneys and judges. And it just, you know, that's how we create change is, um, you know, telling our stories. Tunch, I didn't even give you any hell today. You didn't. We've got one minute, two minutes left. If you, I'm just so proud of you. Like you completely oh, stepped out of what you felt uncomfortable. You went into a situation that you knew you were going to feel uncomfortable and you did it with the sole purpose of helping the people behind you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's really um, satisfying to hear, you know, these DAs come up to me um, and professionals come up to me and says, hey, really appreciate it. It's got me thinking about, you know, our kids that come before us. And it's like, well, thank God. <laughs> right. Like, you know, and, and here's a group of people working hard to make sure that the kids don't leave their county uh, and go into the juvenile justice system in the state because y'all already know how bad it is. So thank you. I I'm proud of you. Bro. Thanks, thanks Tunch. Tunch, we're wrapping this thing up because we and and we you guys it. follow us on, the <laughs> on our YouTube channel. We love y'all. See you next Wednesday, live seven o'clock.